I think it's important to recognize that like recovery is different for everybody. And yeah, it's not like a straight narrow line, you know, there's gonna be bumps in the road. I like to think of it in the way that like my addictions and everything are kind of like a toxic ex. Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a clear-headed podcast. Today's chat is with Christopher Tapp. Ah, I love that that rhymed. They are a queer Canadian writer of poetry, so I'm sure that they'll appreciate that rhyme also. They live in Montreal with their boyfriend and two black cats, and they're also studying acting, which is a really kind of big topic that we talk about in this conversation. Okay, so let's just start out big, shall we? (laughs) Let's start. If you can time travel with me mm-hmm. back to kind of where everything started to click and where you realized that alcohol was no longer serving you. What was that moment or moments like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I got sober quite young when I was 21 And I think when you get sober young, you have like a lot of little rock bottoms, right? Instead of just like one big moment. I did have a moment of clarity. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of things that led up to that. A lot of me putting myself into like dangerous situations, being so young. And um, I think my final rock bottom would have been just at the beginning of the pandemic when, of course, everyone was struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I My roommate had left to, like, stay with her family and, like, get out of the city to be more safe during that time because um, I'm living in Montreal, so lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was a really hard time. I had been sober for maybe a couple weeks at that point I had been trying to get sober for a while but I was really just doing it on my own and I just went on a bender at that time for a few days where I had been drinking and using and um I ended up running out of my drug of choice at the time and because it was the pandemic um even the person that I was buying from wasn't available at the time (laughs) they were like COVID guidelines can't can't see you can't make the drop (laughs) literally so like yeah that's when you know it's like bad right um so I was looking for anything that I could find in my apartment um And the only thing we had was, I don't want to get too in details because I don't want to be super triggering or anything. Um, But the only thing, yeah, that we had in my apartment was like a box of Benadryl. (laughs) And I was really just looking for like any type of high that I could get at the moment. Yeah. 
Um, so I looked up like, you know, how much Benadryl can I take? Um, and I've kind of, I had kind of just taken that whole box with like a bottle of wine and I just, I had blacked out and then I had woke up that morning and my heart was beating so fast. It really felt like I was like having a heart attack or something. And my first response was to call my mom who we don't have the closest relationship and she lives hours away. Um, but at that point, because I had been using for so long, I, um, had been spending a lot of money on that and I didn't have a phone plan. So I'd used like the Facebook messenger mm-hmm. app to call her and it was really the, yeah, the only thing I could think of. Um, and she had called someone for me to, um, bring me to the hospital. Cause I called her and I was like, I think I'm dying. And yeah, so that was probably one of the more scarier moments in the end of like my like active addiction. Um, and you would think (laughs) that I would have gotten sober. Um, and I did for a few months, but then my moment of clarity comes in after I had, um, moved in with some really great people. The pandemic started, I guess, um, calming down at that point and like life was coming back. Um, and my life was really, really good just with having like four or five months of sobriety. Um, and I don't know what it was. I mean, it's a, it's an addiction, right? So I had, um, relapsed only for just a couple days. And I remember just being high and sitting in like this new room that I finally had the money to like decorate really nicely (laughs) And I was just doing so good. Um, And I knew that, like, if I continued like I was before, that there's no way I'd be able to sustain everything that I had built in just a few months. Um, So I had called one of my friends and I was like, I need help. Like, I promise this is the end. I need you to come, like, flush everything for me. And, like, this is it. Um, And that was it. And I asked for help. And that was like the first time I had really asked asked somebody for help <sighs> besides like that one phone call to my mom. You know what is so important when I hear that story to highlight the difference in where like the help asking came from? It's coming out of fear or it's coming out of confidence. And I feel like those are your two. That's how mm-hmm. I see your story. Both are really valid and that help mm-hmm. is still really needed. But, you know, we – a little background for all the listeners. I've been mm-hmm. – uh, I had reached out to you to do an article and uh, on Clearheaded. And yeah. I what really struck me in the question that I asked – I think you threw it in at the end. Like just an extra note. If I could give one bit of advice, it would be that it's not – you can't shoot for perfection because you're going to be disappointed. And it's just so aligned with my belief too. It's really not linear for everyone. And it really is sometimes in the moment you feel so defeated, like you've stepped back, you've regressed, but it's so important Mm -hmm. for your perspective because you could then sit in a better place and observe your 
cute room and see how good life could be. (laughs) And you made a choice and asked for help out of confidence that you wanted that. Not that, you know, I'm going to die, but just like I deserve better, Mm. you know? And I feel like sometimes – Yeah, I do know. It's just – it's so important to hear. So thank you for sharing both of those moments. They're both super valid and they both make up your of your course. recipe of sobriety. And it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So thank you. After you asked for help the second time, what were mm-hmm. your next steps when you had the mm-hmm. you know that final moment of clarity? Well, just to touch on what you were saying, I think it's important to recognize that like recovery is different for everybody. And yeah, it's not like a straight, narrow line. You know, there's going to be bumps in the road. I like to think of it in the way that like my addictions and everything are kind of like a toxic ex. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, if it comes right (laughs) and you know if they come back into your life it's it's it can be very very challenging to say no yes um so I think for me my main thing is surrounding myself with people that um just aren't chaotic in that way it's very hard to do but you are gonna like get to a point where you have to cut out certain people Mm -hmm. Um, because even if it isn't people that are like partying all the time, it's still really important to surround yourself with someone that understands your sobriety and isn't constantly asking you to go out to clubs. I had a lot of friends like that where because because we are so young, it's hard to understand that like for me, it's not just like drinking right. like socially, right? Yep. And yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's something that is really important to me. And I'm just learning recently, um, I'll have three years sober in a couple weeks on the 9th of July and thank you. And yeah, that's the most important thing to me. Um, (laughs) but to bring it back to the part of like your addiction being a toxic ex, it's just, if you do slip up, you just have to think of it in that way where, I don't know, nobody's perfect. Yeah. And you, this thing, you are literally, you know, addicted to it. And if it's presented in front of you, it it can be so hard to say no. So I think just putting yourself in really safe situations is like the best way to, to move forward, at least for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I've used that same comparison as like X is a or booze is like a toxic X because it is so true and it really is such mm-hmm. a good example. I think when it comes to the friends that you have, if you broke up with somebody because they were toxic mm-hmm. and your friends are still friends with that X, it's going to be hard to mm-hmm. navigate like a friendship, a party relationship, you know, 
just like when you have a toxic ex, you're kind of like, do I go to this party because maybe I'm going to see them and what am I going to do if I have to talk to them? It's like the same as like offering a drink or being around like maybe substances that maybe you're that certain friend group always indulge in. It really is just like the perfect example, I think, to say internally and kind of just, you know, let yourself know that it's like navigating a toxic ex and also a good way to tell your friends like, hey, I'm not drinking. I'm sober. All of, you know, alcohol is Mm -hmm. like a really toxic ex to me. So however you would bring up alcohol around me, think of it like you're bringing up my toxic ex. If you, you know, can just Mm -hmm. be mindful about that, I think it helps a lot. I don't know. That's just such a good – it's such a good example. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that is really well said and if – it it's so hard to do, right? I mean, just confrontation in general. Mm. And I did have a lot of friends, someone that I was roommates with at the time who was just using a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, I just had to separate myself from that. And my life has changed so much just by removing one or two people. Yeah. And just constantly asking for help. I know a lot of people do like 12-step programs, which had really benefited me in the beginning of my sobriety. Um, Now I do more just um, kind of like all-inclusive recovery meetings online, where it's not only for sobriety, it's also for people struggling with like um, eating disorders and depression and things like that. And there's less of a structure and a format and like no pressure to follow any two specific rules and that's just what works for me with my recovery but I think 12-step programs are amazing for anyone who partakes in them. I really Um, I love that you just shared that because I do feel like it's such an important thing to note that your recovery or how you stay sober can really evolve and it should mm -hmm. just like your style evolves or your favorite color changes. What Mm -hmm. works to keep you sober even in a community format can change and evolve and I think sometimes it can feel really daunting for people to think about going to you know a meeting or joining like an accountability group or doing like sober coaching because they think Mm -hmm. oh I'm gonna have to do that for the rest of my life but your perspective Mm -hmm. that I also want to talk about on taking it a day at a time, which Mm -hmm. we hear a lot and is a very well-known, I think, slogan in terms of sobriety, but even Mm -hmm. taking how you approach sobriety and what tools you use one day at a time is also really important. Is there or are there any other ways that you're kind of sober care routine or your community or your outlet has changed Mm -hmm. and evolved in these past just shy of three years? (laughs) Um, That's a great question. (laughs) I think it, it has evolved tremendously because in the beginning I had started doing like a 30, um, 30 meetings for 30 days set up, um, which was so helpful in the beginning. Now I do 
like maybe one meeting a week online. And that works really well for me. Sometimes, um, maybe a couple times a month, I'll go to a queer meeting, um, which is like a, just a really, you know, a really safe and inclusive space yes. that I just, I feel a lot more welcomed into. Yeah. Um, not that I don't feel welcomed into the other spaces, but I think, you know, growing up queer, you can, it can be hard sometimes to just only be in a room full of straight men. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love the queer spaces for that reason. And that's something I discovered being sober for a little while now is that there is room for everybody. You do just have to kind of outsource and dig a little deeper for that. Yeah. But I mean, it's a beautiful, there's a beautiful sober community online and everywhere. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of <laughs> how it's progressed, I've just created more of a an inclusive sober space for me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, but I want to touch on the the one day at a time thing. Because I think, I mean, it is such a great saying, and that's why it's, like, stuck for so long. Um, I think it kind of ties back to, like, not striving for perfection. And I've been in those moments where I'm, like, like very stressed about something I have the following day. And I, I just have that feeling that, like, tomorrow I'm going to use. And I kind of just have to put that aside for a minute and think that like remind myself that the only moment that matters is like the present moment and today's goal is just to get through today and like if you can do that then like you can do it again and again um but yeah I think being present is really important especially in sobriety yeah um one of the earlier episodes I did with a mutual friend of Sarah and I's um, Kelsey, she said, I sometimes go through phases where I have to take it five minutes at a time. And that's also just yeah. such a good, uh, it can go as micro or macro as you need it to be. Like you have the power. It's yeah. just in staying uh, present. And I think what you and I also share is this creative mm-hmm. soul Um And have you found that being creative has kind of been a way to ground you in the present moment or even like polar opposite, a way to um, escape, but in like a healthy way? Yeah, 100%. Um, In my, my collection of poetry I'd released, I have a poem in there called Drinking For Me, and it's a long spoken word piece. And I had written that um, way before the, the the story I had shared before about me calling my mother. I had written that like a while before when I was first trying to get sober. And I don't think I had really understood my addiction and how it was affecting my life until I sat down and like wrote that piece Mm. and I remember just sobbing because I I was like what am I doing um 
but yeah, being creative and writing specifically, it's been really therapeutic and I've gotten a lot out that like I didn't know I was feeling and it's a lot easier for me because I tend to be quite an anxious person um, but when I sit down and write alone you know there's there's no rules nobody's listening and I can just feel whatever I'm feeling mm-hmm. and I think that's my favorite thing it's also been so amazing like sharing specific poems like that that are more of the intense ones and personal and having people connect to them and then you know it's affirming for them but then it's also affirming for me where I'm like okay I'm not alone with these feelings and like you know people are connecting to them yes absolutely feelings 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 I think that um you know as creatives we do feel things uh I don't know. I guess I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I feel like I feel things more layered or intensely than the average bird. Mm -hmm. And it is a blessing and a curse. It's the reason why I wanted to numb myself for so long. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got sober and I started meeting my feelings again, because it was just that. Mm -hmm. It was like a reintroduction to anger, grief, sadness, happiness, joy, all these different feelings I had to meet again. And they were so different than how I remembered them and how I had been feeling them. And you're studying acting too, and you're an actor as well. And feeling is like (laughs) the core thing in what and how you Mm -hmm. connect. One, listening right? You listen to what's being said mm-hmm. to you, but you have to develop a feeling. Yep. Have you, like, what has that been like? How long have you been doing yeah. acting, I guess? And then mm-hmm. how has that, like, it's changed? It's very recent. Okay, mm-hmm. recent. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's been four months. <gasps> I, oh, I my was, gosh. Yeah. So I just... I love creative anything. Um, I was studying interior design and decided that wasn't for me. So then I had switched (laughs) over to acting. Um, But yeah, I agree with that. I did spend so long just numbing everything I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I think growing up very um, maybe more feminine, I was very expressive all the time and I grew up in a very small town and I felt like, you know, a target for a lot of uh, hate for that. Yeah. Um, So anything I could do to like chill myself out and suppress that was just like magic for me. Mm. Um, And I think with acting, it is interesting because I have been having to step into a lot of roles that like I wouldn't normally be comfortable with Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of really expressive things and I do feel myself growing and it's a lot of fun yeah I did have a fear going into it because I mean I would like to be a part of those types of stories if I do um, you know get the chance to make a career out of acting I would like to tell sober stories Mm -hmm. and queer stories but then there is the fear of 
I mean, I grew up watching shows like like Skins, mm-hmm. um, and which is very similar to like today's Euphoria, mm-hmm. where you know addiction is very glamorized. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're great shows in their own right, but it is it can be easy to be triggered yeah. by those things. Totally. Um, and if you are someone that already struggles with them, sometimes you almost look for it, mm-hmm. right? At least that's how I am when I'm in kind of a dark era. I remember when the movie Beautiful Boy with Timothy Chalamet and Steve Carell came out. Mm -hmm. And I had watched that like four times in the theaters because I just wanted to glamorize the heck out of that. So I think keeping myself grounded with acting is... Yeah, really important to me. And I am i don't think I'm ever going to, I mean, obviously, if an amazing role comes along, I'm going to want to take it. Um, but you don't have to. I mean, I, don't think... I mean, it's so new. But can I just say like this yes, is. I don't have it all figured yes, out. Yes, 100%. And you're not supposed to. And even like the people who have massively long careers and have won all the awards Mm -hmm. if you sit them down in a room and you ask them what they you know have figured out they really can't tell you either because everything changes but learning how to feel feelings is just that it's learning it's a process it's an Mm -hmm. exercise it's a a gradual you know strength in a muscle of comfortability with allowing these emotions space in your daily life that you know otherwise would have been muted with tequila or you know whatever Mm -hmm. so I love that you're doing it and I love that you're going for it and I'm like so freaking excited to see what else you pick up along the way I remember like when I was still drinking Um, I got this like really great manager and she was like, I got you into this really intense like casting director's workshop and it's all for drama because like I think you you got a lot of sadness in there. You should be Mm -hmm. doing drama. And I was like the comedy girl. I was like, I'm (laughs) not. No, no, no. I want to do like multi-camera comedies and you know, whatever. Yeah. And I went and I – it was so dramatic and everyone felt so intensely when they were reading and tears and mm-hmm. real raw like emotion. And I got up there and I couldn't do it. And I remember the casting director was like, this is almost painful to watch how much you will not feel. Um, And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to do that. I like don't want to feel sad. I like don't want to feel sad in my everyday life why would I want to come on here and sit on a chair and feel sad for you um you were literally suppressing literally literally and (laughs) she said but it's not you like and you you are not here Mm -hmm. you know Anna is here and Mm -hmm. you owe it to Anna to bring that authentically and wholly and truthfully and I like couldn't wrap my head around it and It's like a very new concept that I'm trying to wrap my head around 
the more and more I get like Mm -hmm. clear headed. (laughs) Ha ha. Nice plug. But I don't know. It's just. Yeah. It's just interesting to me. I really relate to that. Yeah. We had, um, yeah, we had worked on monologues just, yeah, on our own, of course, just a one person monologue. And I had given one literally about someone that was using Mm -hmm. and my friend had like disappeared and I had given her drugs or something. And we workshopped that for, I think like a month, just that one monologue. And I remember going to, yeah, that was right at the beginning of me starting to study it. And I went to a really, really dark place. And I do find myself now steering more towards comedy. Mm -hmm. And not because I don't want to feel that, but I think I I just want to have fun with it, you know? And it did bring up a lot of things for me um, that you know, I'd already gone through. Yeah. And I think with comedy, you can still, you can still tell those stories mm-hmm. um, just more in a lighthearted manner. Yeah. I had loved the show Mom, yeah. which was a, did yeah. you see yes. that yes. one with Anna Ferris? Yeah. Which was like, they handled the topic of sobriety so well yeah. in such a comedic way. And I feel like that's the dream, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I do think comedy, you can tell anyone <laughs> anything if they're laughing. They will, I, I really believe that so firmly yes. that somebody will change their perspective on mm-hmm. even the most intense issues if they're laughing. And it's a, a really great mm-hmm. rate, way to like deliver new perspectives. But we should have had a whole episode just on acting. <laughs> But I'm so like Yeah, I'm, it is it's my favorite subject right I now. I <laughs> know. It's so good and it is layered. And you know, sobriety and substance misuse and abuse is so so heavy in the entertainment industry. So it isn't, you know, it all makes sense. Yeah. Um why I think creatives and actors and writers and directors and anybody in the industry is I don't know, probably has some kind of story with a a sober attempt or a sober life or a sober success. Um, yeah. I want to kind of wrap up this conversation. It feels like it went by like that. But with creativity <laughs> and, and trying new things, I want to know like what is currently in your sober care routine? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I want to start with something really simple that really does it for me. I love that. Um, I just, something that I have really gotten into is just sparkling water, flavored sparkling water, of course. Love it. I love a good bubbly LaCroix. Yes. And it's crazy how much I'm not even kidding how much that one little thing has changed my life because I mean, I used to drink every single day at the end of, you know, every shift of work. And this is just, I guess a replacement for that. And it's not bad for me at all. So that's really part of my routine. Just having 
something very simple that I can look forward to at the end of like a long day. Um, so yeah, that's one of I my love things. Um, thank you. And then <laughs> um, something else would just be really practicing mindfulness and doing yoga. Like I said, I can be really anxious. And I think a lot of people who struggle with things like this are very anxious and you know, and they use all of these things to numb that. So for me, the main thing that I'm learning right now um, is just having a strict routine really helps me not like steer off the path and be chaotic. Um, so just meditating every day, doing yoga is really, really important to me. And I know it's so cliche. Oh no. But it works. Yeah, for me. It works. That's the thing. It's simple and it works. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm no longer trying to escape myself, right? I'm really learning to love myself and it strengthens all of my relationships around me and my relationship with my partner. It's just being present is so good. And I ran from that for so long. So... I think that's really it. Mindfulness and sparkling water. Also, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think if anyone wants any other podcast recommendations, what really saved me in the beginning of my sobriety was Sobercast because there was no in-person meetings happening because of the pandemic. Um, That podcast, Sobercast, is just um, a recording of AA and and NA meetings um, that you can just listen to on a walk or in your bedroom if you don't feel like leaving or interacting with anyone. I love that. So that's something that really helps me as well. It is good because you you deserve to hear other people's stories and know you're not alone. And you could be listening to it while drinking a sparkling water. Look at that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love you and I loved this conversation and now I really have to go to Canada I mean I just have to (laughs) (laughs) it's so amazing here the city Montreal is just fantastic I'm really happy that I live here and it's so inclusive and amazing and I think there's there's everything for everyone there's so many mocktail bars yes so okay okay I'll book my flight Okay, great. Thank you. For more guidance on building your sober gear routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at clearheaded.co. (laughs) 